Welcome to the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. And now, here's your host, Brendan Rader. Welcome into episode 17 of the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. We're going to talk some college football, some NFL, and our weekly soccer. But let's start with the NFL. we got J.J. Watt and Russell Wilson. We've got a lot to talk about. Let's start with J.J. Watt. He signs a two-year, $31 million contract to go to Arizona. He's a guy who's been injury-prone lately. Production's been down. He's on the wrong side of 30. Alex, what are your thoughts on this signing? Yeah, I think it's questionable for both sides. I think Arizona paid him way too much money to come there. And I think for J.J. Watt, Arizona's kind of a questionable place to go. I mean, I know he's in love with Kyler Murray because he sent him that text that we all heard about on on, uh, ESPN or whatever. Uh, But I I don't believe in Kyler Murray in the same way J.J. Watt does. I think the Bills would have been a better fit. Maybe the Packers, you know, a team that could really use a a strong edge rusher like him uh, where they lack it maybe. Um, But I, I think it's kind of questionable for both sides here. I think it was a good move. I got to disagree with you. Um, there's so many veterans in the NFL that don't get rings, and J.J. Watt is going to be one of them. You could be one of the best at your position, just be on a bad team your whole career. And he went to a team that he's going to – if they do win, he's going to make a big impact. He's going to help build that winning culture, and he got paid. So, Leon? Yeah, this move is basically no Super Bowl rings for J.J. Watt. He ain't winning a Super Bowl in his career. This, I believe this is a bad move. He should have gone to a contender that was more uh, viable for him. Okay, but if he goes to a contender, what does that put on his name? Then he's like Kevin Durant, just going and just scooping up free wins. Instead, he can go to a team who has a small chance and help them build that chance and build that winning culture. I think in the end, the money the money just took over. He saw $31 million, and you can't turn that down, especially Arizona's a team that can easily make it into the playoffs and, and win a couple of playoff games. Are they Super Bowl contenders? Probably not, um, but it's in Arizona. I mean, he mentioned he loves the weather. Um, it's a good place to live, and realistically, it's just a ton of money that it's hard to turn down. And then also, you're opposite of Chandler Jones, and you've got Hassan Reddick, who they may re-sign. I mean, to put other pass rushers on the same D-line will only open up stuff for J.J. Watt, so we won't see the same double and triple teams that he was seeing in Houston. Um, in terms of his number, this was actually kind of a funny thing. It seemed like he's still going to wear number 99, despite that was a number that the Cardinals had retired um, a very long time ago. Parker, you were a little disappointed that the Cardinals decided to unretire this number. Is that correct? I'm not disappointed. I just think it's kind of funny. I mean, as an organization, you retire a number to remember the legacy of a player. And then when another decent player who wore that number comes along, it's just time to unretire it. Then why are you retiring numbers? If Tom Brady retires and there's another good quarterback that wears the number 12th in college and he gets drafted by the New England Patriots, is it ethical for the Patriots then to unretire Tom Brady's number and give him the number 12? It's different because I, yeah, but- I haven't heard this, this dude's name till now. This dude probably trash. Tom Brady's a goat, and he's number twelve for a reason. And he, the number's gonna get retired. Yeah, exactly. Then, you haven't heard of him because he's three hundred. He's like he played a long, like, long time ago. He played before at the you start of the NFL. Created. And to Parker's point, like literally, why are you gonna retire his number if? And especially, I mean, it wasn't even him who said JJ Watt could, you know, wear the number. It was his daughter saying, "Oh, I'm sure my dad would." you know, not be bothered. He would be honored, whatever. But, like, he's dead. I mean, he can't even tell J.J. Watt it's fair to use his number. Right, but, I mean, I'm not worried about that. that. Like, it's like the family connection. She's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the organization. It's a joke on the Cardinals organization to just throw away your team's past and your team's history like that and just unretire these numbers. 
Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on real quick. Let's talk Russell Wilson. Alex, a big Hawks guy. Um, there's a lot of rumors buzzing around the Seahawks. Russell Wilson seems unhappy. They said he maybe still wants to play in Seattle, but when you have a list of four teams that you would be you would like to be traded to if a trade occurs, let me tell you there's something wrong in Seattle. Um, his four teams were the Saints, Raiders, Cowboys, and Bears. Alex, do you see him getting traded? And if so, where's the best fit for him? No, I don't see him getting traded. Uh, and but but if if you know, assuming that's the possibility, uh, I think the Raiders would be a really good fit for him. Uh, obviously, you know, we know Seattle has somewhat struggled with their offensive line. Definitely, people are definitely overhyping how bad it is. It's not as bad as people say it is. Um, but it's definitely not like a high-end offensive line. Uh, and, and, you know, the Raiders do. I, I'm sure we've all seen the picture of uh, Derek Carr standing in a pocket with about five feet of space uh, around him. And, you know, it, I think the Raiders kind of run an offense uh, similar to what Russell Wilson did at the start of his career when he was winning a bunch of games and going to Super Bowls. Uh, and, and that's, you know, ground and pound first, running off of play action, letting Russell Wilson – um, stand in there with like seven blockers and two guys sprinting 50 yards downfield and tossing deep balls. That's kind of what he's good at. And I think that'd probably be a good, for, good fit for him in uh, Las Vegas. Leon, you're a big let Russ cook guy. Where would you like to see Russ cooking next season? I'd like to see Russ cooking in the Dallas Cowboys uniform. I believe if you, if you do a tag and trade with Dak Prescott, that'd be a great deal. But I don't see Russell Wilson getting traded. And I believe the Seahawks need to improve that old line to keep him happy. I hate hearing I hate hearing about how bad the Seahawks old line is. They like th- this is a fault. Let me let me make this clear. This is a fault of the coaching staff and and Pete Carroll. So they love to toss the ball deep. Uh, so Seattle's pass rush win rate, which is you know it's the percentage of time that they can hold up a rush for I think it's two point five seconds without letting a rusher break in in under those two point five seconds. Seattle is sixteenth in the league. That's right about average. If you go over two and a half seconds, though, how long they can hold up for over two and a half seconds, they're 28th. And Seattle loves to toss the ball deep. It just doesn't work because they don't have enough time to do it. Their offensive line is about average when they can hold up for two and a half seconds, and they're bottom in the league over two and a half seconds. So that's why Russell Wilson scrambles around so much because they're trying to force the ball 50 yards downfield. These routes take time to develop. Right, the Seahawks' offensive line is just not built to do that. They need to work with a short passing game, but I don't know. Like they just refuse to do it for some reason. No, I disagree. I don't think they've in, invested anything into that offensive line. I mean, you look at Damian Lewis. What he was a third round pick this year. He looked pretty good. Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, might be thirty three or something. He's a nice left tackle. Other than that, all these pieces are so bad. I mean, they're so replaceable. These guys are undrafted free agents. They're late they, round picks. They work. They work within a certain set of parameters on offense, right? Like. The offensive line is effective, at least in, in you know their average, which is about as much like, like that's what you can ask for in two and a half seconds. You know they're holding up effective under two and a half seconds. They just love to throw the ball so far down the field, and Russell Wilson loves to hold on to the ball because he's got routes going fifty yards deep. They like the offensive line just isn't built to do that. They're not. The there's two, there's two things to look at offensive line production, right? You look at how much pressure is being put on the quarterback in Seattle. It's a ton, and how's their run game? In Seattle, it's terrible. So those are two things that you can point to the O-line as underperforming every year. You look at Brian Shell, the right tackle. That dude is a certified bum. He's not a starting right tackle in the league. Draft somebody, pay somebody, go get Trent Williams, go get Corey Lindsley, go get Joe Tooney, go get somebody. I mean, I'm telling you, if they don't beef up that O-line, okay. Russell Wilson will want out by next does, year. Does a quarterback does a quarterback bear no responsibility in how many times he gets hit? Is it solely on the offensive line? 
No, but the offensive line obviously, is jump. Yes, thank you. So you agree, right? Russell Wilson holds the ball for so long, obviously he's going to get hit more. This is a broken relationship. Russell Wilson is leaving next year, I think, either way. it's already He's already named the teams that he wants to be traded to. He doesn't like the Seahawks. The Seahawks aren't winning with him. Russell Wilson's gone next year, no matter if you fix that O-line. The only way is if you win the Super Bowl. Nah, card, my guy. The Seahawks O-line, as you would say, is a bunch of traffic cones. These dudes are awful. They're terrible. They get beat up week in and week out in the run game and the pass game. The Seattle Seahawks will never win playoff games with that O-line. There's no That's way. Just- Actually, that it's factually incorrect. If you throw the ball under two and a half seconds, your average in pass blocking percentage. They, Seattle loves to throw the ball deep. I've made this point so many times this episode so far. Seattle is obsessed with throwing the ball deep, and Russell Wilson is obsessed with holding this ball as long as he can and tossing a 60-yard bomb to DK Metcalf. And that's awesome so, when it happens, but Seattle's offensive line just can't hold up for that long. So they, is it on the play calling? Is it on Russell Wilson? How quick. They, they're just they're not built to hold the ball long. Seattle's offensive line is average. That's about as much as you can ask for in the NFL. They're average in under two and a half seconds. So throw the ball in under two and a half seconds. Now, nah, here's, here's why you, why? Give, you have a flawed statistic, and here's why. The Seahawks offensive line produces no run game, right? I mean, we know. You're not going to argue the Seahawks have an, a run game. I mean, that's you can't no, argue. So they have no run game, and therefore – Defenses can just defend the pass. They can sit back in deep zones. They can put all their safeties back. They don't... So throw it off. Throw it underneath. Throw it under. That's perfect. If, the, no, if they're no. going to sit back, if, if the defense is going to sit back ten yards off the line of scrimmage and you know play you know over the top coverage, throw the ball underneath and use that short game as a supplement to the run game. Right. If you can't run the ball, then have Russell Wilson tough it, dump it off into the flat, throw five yard curls and just dig and dunk your way down the field to supplement the run game. Right. If Chris Carson can only get a yard a carry, let Russell Wilson be the run. Russell Wilson in the, in the Seahawks would then be like the short yardage replacement for the run game. And that work out, too, because the offensive line is good, is, is 16th in the league at holding up under two and a half seconds. That's perfct. Card, your numbers go in one ear and out the other. Um, no one really cares. But let me ask you, so is it Russell Wilson's fault that he's holding the ball on too long, or is it the offensive play calling's fault running all these deep routes and the receiver's fault for not getting open? It's, 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 it's less Russell Wilson's fault than it is, um, than it is the offense. I, I think it's an offensive philosophy problem. I think it's, it's a, we're so upset. We know Russell Wilson can throw an amazing deep ball. But our offensive and, and our receivers are great at running those routes, but our offensive line is just not great at holding up for too long. It's like they keep banging their head against the door trying to throw 50-yard bombs and get chunk plays. Like so, I, I think it's an offensive philosophy thing more than it is a Russell Wilson thing. So what you're saying is uh, the O-line is being asked too much of. They're asking too long to hold up for the O-line, and yeah, that's why Wilson gets pressure. They, they don't properly understand that the, the old line they have in Seattle, and they're asking them to do too much. And they're asking Russell Wilson to do too much by scrambling around. I agree with Brendan. Is the Seahawks are only playing with one aspect of offense. They're football. a one-dimensional offense. Yeah, which yeah. defenses can figure out and drop and make it harder to get open, making Russ hold the ball longer. If they can establish a run game, they may have a better chance at and, – And not to mention, their defense is – atrocious all year long until maybe the end of the season they got a little better but when you have a defense like that you're in a shootout every week and surely handing the ball off to chris carson and doing little four yard slant dump downs is not going to work when your defense is giving up as many points as their defense was well i mean how do you con- how do you conquer teams that score quickly on your defense because your defense sucks you hold on to the ball longer right if you're throwing five yard curls and flat routes and slants that go for 
two, three, four, five yards and, and stay in bounds. Like it, it's essentially like running the ball over and over and over again. You're just adding variety in there. Or you just go to the Cowboys and make that a Super Bowl contending team. Yeah, I mean, you could do that too. I wouldn't be mad. I mean, he's he's way he's done way too much for Seattle. I mean, he's he basically. I, I do not agree with that take, Parker, because their defense is so bad. They're so old. Their offensive line's old. They're banged up every year, and the cap, the you know, the dead cap that they would get from tagging Dak and trading Dak and then acquiring Russell Wilson's contract. I mean, there's no way you could build a Super Bowl roster with that. Oh no, I'm not saying they'll be a Super Bowl team. I was just saying Russell Wilson could go to a better team in the Cowboys, which will probably give him a better offensive scheme. All right. I think I think Russ needs to work with a good coach. So, well, you got a new offensive coordinator this off season, so we can see what happens now. We'll have to see how that works out. But I, Packers, Packers or Saints would be cool. All right, let's move on real quick. Let's talk Kyle Van Noy. The Dolphins released him yesterday, one year after his four-year, fifty-one million dollar deal, I believe. Um, kind of a surprising move. He was a veteran leader, seemingly. He brought that New England culture. He was a good player last year. Alex, were you disappointed in this move? Uh, no, not not really. I mean, I I mean, I guess so. Yeah, maybe because like you lose that veteran leadership experience. I don't think it's a huge deal though. I think they're kind of I, they're getting younger. So I agree. Maybe production wise, it might. It might not be a terrible idea. You know, he, obviously you can get way cheaper replacements that could have similar production. But in my opinion, it's the locker room move. He's a captain. You just signed him to a four-year deal. He's that, he brings that New England culture with Flores. And then all of a sudden, you cut him after one year. So if you're a free agent, you're looking at the Dolphins like, oh, wow, this guy had a pretty good year. One year into his deal, he was a captain. His teammates love him, and they just got rid of him. Like, doesn't that make you worried about signing with Miami? I mean, this is a guy who... When he left the Patriots, they were winning Super Bowls like nothing else. And we know Bill Belichick offered him a contract that he didn't accept. Instead, he went down to an awful Miami Dolphins team and started to help build that culture to where it's becoming now as a 10-6 and 6 team last year. I think cutting him is, like Card said, maybe good production-wise, but it's ruining that culture that you have. It's ruining that birth of this building of this team that you had. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the Patriots real quick. The, kind of the hometown team around here where we live. Um, Stefan Gilmore, their corner, kind of dissatisfied with his contract. Sounds like he won't play on that contract. So for the Patriots, it's either, you know, extend him and give him a raise or trade him or I guess possibly release him. Alex, what's the best, you know, what should New England do with him? You know, knowing that they're not really a Super Bowl contending team. He's an older cornerback, but he's still an elite corner in the league. I, I think they need to trade him. I think they should probably get some value for him. And uh, I don't know, maybe like, trade him to a contender or a team that's willing to pay him a bunch of money. It's rebuild season in New England for me. Uh, and I know Bill Belichick doesn't see that that way because he's kind of like a retool instead of a rebuild guy. But I, I think it's time to start rebuilding this team. And I think the best way to go about that is getting rid of Stephon Gilmore and getting some assets in return for him and, and starting to get some compiling younger players who can and develop and um, – uh, cultivating a new generation in New England. I agree with uh, Carr. They got to get rid of that old defense. Everyone has to go out. The retirement home has to leave New England now. And um, I believe Bill Belichick has to recognize that he needs to start rebuilding because uh, currently, currently he thinks he has a retool and he believes it's still a Super Bowl team, but the GM of him is not good. He is an awful GM and he should step down and become a, just strictly a coach. 
I'm excited to see what happens with all these contract negotiations advancing after Kyle Van Noy, after we've seen guys like Carson Wentz and these guys who are on the older side and the more like the better side of these players. But if you get paid too much, especially with the salary cap decreasing now as of this year, like they're like this is a business and you're going to get cut. So I'm I expect to see that these pays go down for these middle-aged to older-aged veterans. And I think Stefan Gilmore should take a pay cut because you honestly don't know if he'll be the same. No, I th- I'm with uh, Alex and Leon that they should definitely get rid of him. I think you can get some good value in the draft for him, maybe a first, maybe a – probably not a first, maybe like a second-round pick, third-round pick. Um, but, you know, as Leon mentioned, New England's defense is just so old. The McCourty brothers, Chong and Hightower, I mean, all these guys up there in age – they really just don't have young talent. And that's why, in my opinion, I, I think Bill Belichick can realize this, right? This is his year to be like, all right, we're going to go get our guy in the draft. I hope to God they get Mac Jones. What a great addition he would be. And then reset that defense, you know, get the young talent in there, get um, Uche and Winovich, get all these guys playing time, get rid of McCordy's and you know, uh, Gilmore and Chong and Hightower, all these older guys. I can really hope that the Patriots would reset this team to rebuild for the future and get the retirement home, as Leon would say. Why, um, why are we getting the old guys out? So we can put worse, younger guys in? Like, I get you want younger start guys. Start the rebuild. The, the waiter you long, wait, the longer you wait, you know, they're going to be in the middle of the round every year drafting. They can't find their quarterback. They're going to have to trade up. In my opinion, if you're the Patriots, just go all in on a young quarterback, rebuild, get some cheaper guys, and try to try to build with youth. They have no youth. Bill Belichick isn't going to rebuild his team just because he had one decent season after the Super Bowl dynasty they had. He's not going to go into complete rebuild after one decent season. You act like if you don't win the Super Bowl, up oh, it's time to rebuild. Okay, well, do the Patriots not need to rebuild? I mean, just look at their They roster. need to rebuild some aspects. They don't need to rebuild their full defense. They don't have a starting running back on their roster. They don't have a starting receiver. They've on never their had a starting running back on their roster. They don't have a starting tight end on their roster. They're losing well, they, their best offense. They they're had, losing their two best offensive linemen. Like, I mean, they have to rebuild. They've had they've had capable they've had capable receivers and capable running backs and an amazing quarterback. Right now they have a you know a sub average QB. They have they have wide receivers who can't get the job done, and they have a running game that's average at best. Like they, it's right. time to start acquiring assets and weapons on offense and a QB to run it all. So you can't require an you can't acquire assets on offense and rebuild the defense. Like you can't just totally get a new whole 53 man roster. And the defense is less of a problem than the offense is Cam Cam Newton needs to go. Like if if they bring back Cam Newton, he's a starter week one. I will be shocked. Right. The the defense isn't sorry. The defense isn't a problem. If they were Super Bowl team this year, I think it's a really good defense actually. But in my opinion, you know, the offense isn't close. We know that. We know. We just mentioned what they don't have. They don't really have anything, actually, at this point with Tooney and Andrews leaving. Um, so if your defense is good for another one, somehow if it's good for another two years, that really just doesn't matter, and it won't line up with your offensive rebuild that they need to go through. That's why I think at this point you let those older guys ring chase and you move on. Let's go really quickly before we leave. Alex Smith, released by the football team. Best fit and why? We'll start with Parker. Um, I think he deserves a starting job. He's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the league. I think maybe I could see him going to a team like the Broncos over Drew Locke if they don't get another guy from the draft or if they trade with the Patriots or something. I could see him going to a team. Hmm, I don't 
I don't know. I deserve he deserves a spot on that team. Dude, maybe the Panthers. I think he's better than Teddy Bridgewater. Leon? I think he has to go back to the team that drafted him, the 49ers, and sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo. That's not a bad take. Alex? I don't think he's a. I don't think he's an amazing starting QB. I think he has a great story behind him, but other than that, he's not like. I don't think he's a, a top thirty-two QB. I don't think he's a starting caliber quarterback. I think Jacksonville would be an interesting fit to kind of have a lasting legacy of. Hey, you know, I kind of mentored Trevor Lawrence, showed him the ropes, and then he he turned into this amazing talent and and kind of have some some level of recognition for that. So I think playing a back backup QB role in Jacksonville and Urban Meyer was his coach in college too. I think that'd be an uh, an interesting spot for him. That's an interesting fit if he wants to be a backup, which I, I don't really see why he would. But, you know, if he wants to get into coaching, maybe, I mean, he's tutored Mahomes, who looks like one of the most special players we've ever seen. And then if he could do it with Trevor Lawrence as well, that would really help his point to become a coach in the NFL or in college somewhere. Um, but I think 49ers might be a good idea. In my opinion is the Bears. The Bears don't have a quarterback for next year. GM and head coach on the hot seat. They've got to go all in, right? And so they've got to get a veteran quarterback. You're not going to go with a rookie. They don't have the draft capital, I think. Um, Alex Smith is probably one of the best options out there, assuming Dak gets tagged or signed. Um, Marcus Mariota maybe a little better, but I do agree Alex Smith is a top 32 quarterback. Um, and then, actually, that's it. I think we're done with this segment. We're going to move on, and we will talk next week. See you, boys. All right, we're jumping into our college football segment now. I'm joined by Alex. We've got a good segment here on college football. going to talk some off-seasons, some moves, um, title odds some running back rankings, the Alabama quarterback trends and all that. But let's start with SEC. SEC is planning to return to stadiums in full capacity in the fall. Alex, what games are you looking forward to the most? Uh, definitely number one on that list is Alabama-Auburn. The Iron Bowl is always one of the best environments for college football. Uh, and especially when Alabama goes to Auburn, that's always a great game. Uh, I have a ton of fun watching that. I think that uh, that like Jordan Hare Stadium kind of it has an effect on the outcomes of those games. You can definitely feel it watching them. Uh, like Alabama is oftentimes intimidated by that crowd, especially when Auburn's having a, a relatively good season. I mean, crazy things happen there, and, and the, the crowd is a huge part of that. On top of that, um, I think yeah, LSU will go to Alabama this year. We'll have to see how LSU is doing uh, at that point in the season. That'd be another really good game. Uh, I mean, last time they played 2019, LSU-Bama was one of the best games of the year, and, and that stadium was rocking. So we'll have to see when we get there. But those are my two picks, uh, assuming SEC is back to full capacity. Yeah, that would be fun for sure if we can get fans back in seats at stadiums and try to get back to normal, especially in college football. I think college sports in particular are the one sport that really lacks the energy from fans. Um, the other sports, yeah. you know, you don't have that same same vibe that the students can represent their school that passion in college football is kind of unmatched. Um, let's talk Arik Gilbert real quick. He decommitted from Florida after he transferred from LSU. Um, kind of a, a confusing situation, if you will. Why don't you explain that one? Yeah, so Eric Gilbert uh, was, I think, the greatest. He was one of the best highly rated tight ends coming out of college in history out of Marietta, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta. Committed to LSU originally, number five player in the country when he did so. Played one year there was largely underwhelming uh, and then he decides he's going to transfer from LSU citing that he was feeling quote-unquote homesick so he goes to, to Florida which is a little bit closer to uh, Marietta uh, and and you know I mean we talked about this earlier in the podcast I mean this is a guy who's like six foot five 253 pounds like he's a physical specimen he's got great hands and great speed for his size 
we, we made that Kyle Pitts comparison because, you know, Kyle Pitts just came out of, of Florida um, and we thought he could maybe be another one of those guys, but he commits from Florida. It'll be really interesting to see where he goes now. Not sure if anyone will even want this kid, given the whole situation that's gone down with him leaving LSU, committing to Florida and then saying, nah, never mind, I'm going to back out uh, a few weeks later. Uh, some options to look at here. The two biggest ones are Juco football, just to kind of get some football back under him and, and, and get, get his feet back under him and then transitioning to college after that. Uh, or the University of Georgia, which was his number, a lot of people thought would be his number one destination when he was transferring from LSU. Um, just because he was from the area. So we'll have to see. Um, but he's a great talent. It'd be a shame to, to watch that kind of fade away. Yeah, and you wonder if teams, as you kind of mentioned, are teams willing to take the risk on him? We've seen, you know, he backed out of Florida, didn't work out at LSU. You know, if you're a college and you see the type of prospect he can be, but you also see the problems he can solve, is it or problems he can cause, sorry, is it really worth the risk of, you know, getting him? Um Let's go to the running backs real quick. You were not too happy with the running back rankings from pro football focus. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, this is probably the most insulting thing I've seen uh, as a college football fan. Number one, pro football focus has Tank Bigsby from Auburn, Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State, Kennedy Brooks from OU, Brian Robinson from Alabama, and Jerrion Early from Ole Miss. Man, the SEC bias is is killing this list right here. And you got one to three guys and two, two of which are totally undeserving from the SEC to be on this list. Some missing names here, Bijan Robinson from Texas, who was, he didn't play that much last year, but was still a top 20 back in the nation. He was incredible last year. He's going to have a star season upcoming this year. Brees Hall, the best running back in my opinion, or probably second best running back in my opinion last year in college football behind Najee Harris left out of this top five for some reason. Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, he's another great talent. And then Kyron Williams from Notre Dame. That like in, in that order, one, two, three, four, Robinson Hall, Spiller, and Kyron Williams, and then add in Tank Bigsby at number five, that should be the running back's top five. I, I have no idea how those idiots at Pro Football Focus left out left out Robinson and then threw in guys like Deuce Vaughn. It's, it's honestly insulting, uh, this list was. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was definitely an interesting list. I did notice that. Um, I read that earlier in the week, and I was also surprised that they left out a couple of those guys that surely belonged in that list, in my opinion. Uh, let's go to the national title odds real quick. Alabama opens up as a favorite at plus 350. Clemson, a clo- Clemson and Georgia are kind of tied for a second there. Um, what's the best bet in your opinion? Uh, I mean, Alabama always is going to be up there for the favorite. I it. it it all depends. Alabama's plus 350, that really rides on Bryce Young and what he can do as a player. I think I'm looking at as far as value goes, I think OU is really interesting. I've seen some people have OU as high as number two in their rankings. That might be a little bit high, but Spencer Rattler had a, a relatively slow start to his freshman season, but he really came around towards the end. I mean, they got hot down the stretch, dominated Iowa State. Uh, in Well, not, not dominated, but beat Iowa State, and then dominated Florida uh, in their bowl game. That could definitely be a really interesting pick. Uh, OU's problem in the past has been defense. Like, they get to the the playoff, they're a great offensive team, and then they just shut down because they can't stop teams in the playoff. But, uh, you know, uh, they've been improving defensively every single year over year uh, since Lincoln Riley has identified this as a problem a few years back. I mean, this could be the year they have a really talented defense compared to the Big 12. 
are probably the second best defense in the Big 12. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play in, in the Big 12. Uh, but if they come out as conference champions and, and are a playoff team, I think they're definitely someone to watch out for at plus 600 right now. Yeah, I'm putting my money on Alabama as well. Um, you mentioned you just can't bet against Alabama and Nick Saban. Um, I think Clemson would be a good bet, and and probably uh, Ohio State would be my next bet. I think you know Ryan Day really has that program looking looking good, um, improving year after year. So I think they would be a nice bet as well. Uh, let's go really quickly to Jalen Hurts, who played for Alabama and Oklahoma, two teams you just mentioned. Um, he seems to have changed the trend in Alabama quarterbacks in terms of kind of how they're recruiting. Why don't you explain that? Yeah. So, you know, in, in the past, when you think of SEC football and Alabama football, you think of power, you think of a game manager at quarterback and you think of a great defense. I mean, that was the formula Nick Saban had uh, when he won his first few national titles back in, in the late 2000s, early 2010s was, you know, we're going to have a game manager at quarterback. We're going to run play action. We're going to dominate you with a physical, physical running back. And we're going to shut you down on defense. They were scoring about 27, 28 points per game during that stretch. Uh, but, but over these past few years, we've really seen a change uh, in, in the philosophy which Nick Saban uses to govern his teams. You know, it used to be I'm not going to put too much pressure on a quarterback to, you know, like you couldn't name a single Alabama quarterback who had, had success in the NFL who had even been drafted high in the NFL. I mean, now you think about it, you got Jalen Hurts, uh, Tua Tagovailoa picked in the, in the top five last year. Uh, Mac Jones, who might be a top, is going to be a first rounder this year, could be a top, another top 10 pick. Bryce Young, uh, he was the number two player coming out of high school. They got Jalen Milrow on campus. That's another four-star recruit. And then they just landed Ty Simpson, another five-star quarterback. Jalen Hurts was really the start of uh, Nick Saban demonstrating his, his change regarding offensive philosophy, uh, you know, changing from, well, I'm not going to put pressure on my QB to make important decisions because if that guy goes down, we're going to be in trouble to I'm going to garner as much QB talent as I can and let everything play out as it does. And, and, you know, this was something they found this year. Like they had a ton of success this year, relying heavily on Mac Jones on uh, uh, Devonte Smith in that passing game to win games. I mean, they, they had what 48 points per game this year, a huge comparison, a huge increase from just a decade earlier when they were scoring about 26, 27 points per game. Yeah. It almost seems like in a way they've kind of, changed from a defensive team to an offensive team um, where obviously they're still very well-rounded and they're one of the best teams in the country either way, seemingly. But um, all of these quarterbacks that you mentioned and Hurts and Tua and Mac Jones and Bryce Young and all of these guys, these top recruits, four-star, five-star guys, um, they really have Alabama as one of the top offenses every year. I mean, we know this year they were historic under Mac Jones. Um, we'll see if they can continue that under Bryce Young next year. And, uh, you mentioned we think they're the favorites. I'll be curious to see if this trend keeps up, if Saban keeps going after these highly rated quarterbacks out of high school. I think that's all we have for this college football segment. Uh, so that'll wrap up this week's segment, and we'll talk next week. Moving now into our soccer segment of uh, episode, I think it's 17 of the Yosemite Sports Talk podcast. Let's start off with Bruno Fernandez. I saw this, this statistic the other day. Against the big six in the Premier League this season, Bruno has played seven games and scored one goal and zero assists. I, does this fuel into the idea? At least I thought so after looking at this. He, I think he's kind of overrated. I think he, he definitely was undeserving of those like 
four or whatever it was Premier League player of the month in a row. That was ridiculous or something. Um, but I, I think this kind of speaks to a little bit of he plays really good against bad teams and he puts up a bunch of great stats against bad teams. When it comes to playing the big boys, he's just not up to the standard that we've kind of played him up to be. Oh, I, I, I completely, I, I completely agree with Alex. Uh, I know Austin's gonna have a lot to say about this. Well, but, I mean, he's um, a Lions United fan, so yeah. Um, I just, I think that like he's a great player, but I, I don't think he's that dominant player that will win you a game against a good team. Like we haven't, like as Alex said, I mean, in the one goal he scored in those seven games was a penalty, like. There, there hasn't been any dominant performances from him against those big, big teams. Like, even against Real Sociedad, he wasn't that good. He was just decent. And, I mean, Real Sociedad's not a top team in the world. But, I mean, Manu, like, I, I just, he, hasn't, he hasn't been dominant. And I think that's, like, that's coming down to, I mean, his strength. He's not very strong. He's not very fast. He just doesn't have that it factor that like De Bruyne, Messi, Lewandowski, Ronaldo have. Okay, really quick, just to your point about the Real Sociedad game. The first game, for the first game in, in Turin versus um, Sociedad, they had not lost a game. Or, or Yeah, they had not lost in 23 games in all competition. All right? Bruno didn't even have a great day, yet he still scored two and assisted one. So I think when you look at it, you look at a game like that, that is a big game. That was a big game. That was a game that United, you know, coming off of a, a bit of a mediocre run of form really needed, you know, to push, uh, especially after the three, three draw with Arsenal, uh, uh, with Everton, pardon me. And, and the, the two, one loss to Sheffield United two weeks prior, we needed the win and he showed up. Now I, I would agree definitely with, with the fact that he did not perform in the Chelsea game. I get that. He didn't perform against Man City three, four weeks ago. He didn't perform against Chelsea. And I understand how that may look is overrated. But watching him and how he can set up play, how he can how he can influence a game against most teams. You know, you look at how he played against Leeds, how he played against Real Sociedad. And yeah, he plays against some of the lesser teams in the Premier League. But he performs. And he, he consistently performs. Yes, he's had some some, you know, some tough games against some of these bigger teams, but you also have to look at scheduling. You have to look at, you know, when you're playing three games a week and you're playing 90 minutes a game or 85 minutes a game, you're not going to be able to perform every single day to that top level. Okay. But I think because of that, I mean, he's just, you can't, you can't even compare him to De Bruyne. Like De Bruyne's been so much more dominant against these teams that are just so much better. And but that isn't even been, true. That is not player. even true. Yes, it is, it is. The statistics I mean, don't back that up. He has not. The, okay, the statistics don't back the up the I've fact watched, that he is better this season. I've watched. Yeah, I'm, we're not talking about just this season, but I've watched De Bruyne play like 50, 60 games maybe. And De Bruyne against every single team shows up. De Bruyne doesn't have those type of off days that Bruno Fernandez does. Whenever De Bruyne's playing, he may not get a goal or an assist. He connects the play in a way that Bruno just cannot. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that on this one. I think when you can you look at De, Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, he's just a consistent, like, he's he almost has, like, a fear factor to him, at least when I watch his game. It's just like, oh, Kevin De Bruyne is on the pitch here. Like, we know, 
you know, this guy's a serious talent and he always has a serious effect on the game. Whereas it's like Bruno Fernandez is like, ah, oh, which one am I getting? You know, like, am I getting the one who plays against the big six teams or am I getting one that plays against the lesser teams? Well, yeah, I, I just really quick, really last thing. I just think you have to look at what people are saying about Bruno, right? You have to look at Thomas Tuchel talking about what he wanted hit. He wanted to sign him. Um, Maurizio Pochettino was talking about that it's Spurs. He wanted to sign him. Pep Guardiola was talking about that he just didn't have the money to sign him. So you have to you have to look at what these big coaches, these incredible coaches that coach these great teams are saying about the player that now you're calling overrated. That they're willing to spend yeah, 60, 70, 80 million euros on this player. Just saying. I'm just that's that's my point of view. And and coaches can love you, but coaches can love you for different reasons. Coaches love Leo Messi because he's the greatest to ever do it. Coaches love younger players who are have a ton of potential because they could be really good players. So, you know, like a coach could say, oh, I love Bruno Fernandez. But and, and I would sign, I would spend $80 million on him, but he's not like an incredible talent right now. Or well, he is an incredible talent right now, but just like from a reasoning standpoint, a coach could be like, I would spend $80 million on him. And that's an investment in the fact that we think he's going to get better over the future and have a huge impact on the team in the future. So, uh, but let's move on now. Uh, Josep, I think it's Bar- Bartomeo, the former club uh, president at Barcelona, has officially been arrested in Spain. Does this have any effect on whether or not Lionel Messi will stay with Barcelona? Uh, you know, there's been a ton of rumors he's going to leave the city or PSG or something like that. Uh, is he is he set in stone leaving or staying now, or is it still up in the air? I think it's still up in the air, but I think it's so much more likely that he stays, just because I mean they got arrested for like I don't know the specifics, but I know they were like essentially lying or like leaking information about Messi. And uh, Messi was suing them for like defamation of character, and then he they were the main reason he wanted to leave. They just want, they were just pushing him out in every way possible in like illegal ways, and um, because like all like those guys, the four people that were most involved in that are gone. Um, like I mean, Messi's free to do almost like people now. People now everyone at Barcelona loves him again, and it's not just like four of the top people at Barcelona hate him and everyone else loves him is everyone loves him and i mean he's still i i personally think he's still the best player in the world so um i mean if he can if he can continue like if he can continue this form and barcelona picks up like a league trophy i think for sure he's staying yeah i just i have to disagree with that one i think Barcelona are out of the Champions League for this season. They're done. They're not coming back against PSG. PSG's moving on. Um, they're either out of the Champions League. They, their squad is aging. They have no – they have – like, they're young. They have a ton of young talent, but these aren't guys that are ready to make an impact right now. They have one youthful player that's ready to make an impact is, and is making an impact, and that's Frankie de Jong. Right? Riqui Puig, Ansu Fati, maybe Ansu Fati could argue the same thing. Um, but like a lot of these guys are too young. By the time they're ready to come into maturity and really make an impact on this team, Lionel Messi is going to be 37, 38 years old, something crazy like that. It, it's it, like he's not going to be when this team is ready to co- seriously compete for Champions League titles again. This like he, he's going to be too old. So I and and the squad right now is not capable of competing on a, on a uh, continental level. Like they may, maybe they could scrape away a La Liga victory or, I don't know, another domestic trophy in Spain. But, you know, um, Sergio Busquets, uh, Gerard Piquet, 
you know, a lot of these guys are just too old. I think Messi realizes that I, I think he, he sees the aging squad and he sees the gap in quality um, or the gap in, in time it's going to take for the, his guys to get prepared. And he's saying, I want to still compete for a Champions League and still continue to cement my legacy as the greatest football player of all time. Let me go to another club and try and win a Champions League there. Let me prove to the doubters that I can do it in the Premier League or I, I can do it in another league, whatever it might be, right? Uh, and so I, I think he's he's almost surely out at this point. Uh, and he's definitely out if they don't come away with La Liga. I think, I mean, if I were Messi right now, I like as he's been such a loyal player for Barcelona, I'd almost have the attitude of, okay, I can hold them over until we're back on top. Like, Messi, he'll be great for one or two more years. But by then, Riquipui, Pedri, Arujo, Ansufati, Trincao, um, like all these other players. There's a few other guys that I'm just forgetting. Will be like hot. Will be like world class players. They will be on the level of like just players that can win a Champions League or players that can at least dominate La Liga. And because I mean, these guys personally, I think some of these guys are some of the best talents in the world. Like Pedri, he's been unbelievable this season. Ansu Fati, when he wasn't injured, great. Arujo, still the only player in the top five leagues who's played 900 plus minutes and not gotten dribbled past. Like he's, I mean, these players are performing at such a young age and what they can do when they're 22, 23 plus is going to be unbelievable. I I think when you do that though, you're just asking Messi to basically forego his chances at winning another serious title in Europe, in La Liga, something like that. Like, Like you're basically saying, Hey man, like, can you stay and hold us over and and keep us in a good financial position with your popularity, with your brand for a few more years until we can get this next group of people in like that, that would be pretty much the ultimate sacrifice because he's basically foregoing the rest of his career, the rest of his, his chance to put up uh, serious numbers and, and compete on a European level to, to bring this Barcelona team, I guess it like, kind of limp over the finish line until this next generation of guys are ready to go. I don't know if he's willing to do that. I, I think he's he's ready at this point in his career to move on, to go to another team, to continue to compete, to cement his legacy. I think he sees what he's done for this club. He's he's continued, he's you know, given so much for Barcelona. He's been so loyal for so long. That's not something that a lot of players can say nowadays. You know, guys like Cristiano Ronaldo have bounced around three clubs, four clubs at this point. Um, I, I think he's given so much for this club, and I think he's kind of like, I've paid my dues, I'm ready to get out of here and go compete somewhere else. I, I think that's the reason, though, that he might stay. Is You know, it's he, he wouldn't be who he is without Barcelona. Barcelona have given him all the tools to succeed, and he, in turn, has given them everything. Right? And I think that it's... You know, when you're at a club for, for nearly 17 years and you've spent your entire career at one club, it becomes a part of you. It becomes a piece of you that you can never let go. Um, I think, I mean, even, you know, as you brought up Cristiano Ronaldo, he dealt with that when he left Real Madrid. I mean, there was rumors after his first season in Turin that he was going to leave and go back to Real because he, he, didn't, he didn't like playing in Serie A. It wasn't the same league. It wasn't the same people around him. And I think that's what's, that's what's going to happen with with Messi is, you know, he ha- he's cemented himself as a Barcelona legend and 
people will miss him too much. I think he'll miss the city. He'll miss, you know, the place that his kids have grown up, the place that he has won so much and, and achieved so much at that. I, I don't think he can perform anywhere else. I think he needs to, needs to continue and finish out his career where it started. I, you might be right. And but I, I'd love to see him move on. I think he's, he's more than paid his dues to Barcelona. They gave him a chance. They took a chance on him. And, and he's more than paid that back, like probably 10 times over at this point. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to see him move on and, and go win something in another league, another Champions League. I think that'd be amazing to see him win another one. Uh, let's move on now. So uh, One Football came out with um, the top five for each of the top five leagues in Europe. Uh, and, and it's pretty interesting. We got a lot of really close title races. Most of them are still up in the air, except for the Premier League, which has kind of been a theme of the Premier League these past few seasons. Uh, and, and that's something I want to talk about. So all of these other leagues in Europe, La Liga, Syria, Bundesliga, Liga, all of these leagues have serious close title races. And, and for the most part, except for maybe, um, I don't know, like La, La Liga especially always has a, a relatively close title race. The Premier League these past few years, it's been blowout after blowout after blowout as far as title winners come. Is that, does that have a negative effect on, on the Premier League as a whole? given that one team just runs away with it towards the end of the season. I mean, I know for me, it, it makes it less interesting to watch. I honestly think for sure. Like, I mean, there's still probably top. I don't, I don't even know if I'd call it the highest concentration of good teams. I'd, I'd, I, I, this might be a little bit of bias because I'm a, I'm a Bayern fan, but I think the Bundesliga could have the highest concentration. Bundesliga or La, uh, La Liga both have just – great teams, great teams that we've seen like dominate in like Europe and dominate domestically. And I, I don't know. I just think that's more of an up in the air thing than the Premier League. And because I mean, Wolfsburg have been unbelievable this season. We've seen um, like, it's just always just like a mix up, like Leipzig came out of nowhere one season. Um, sometimes Dortmund has a good year. Sometimes Dortmund has a bad year. I'm sorry, I'm just blanking on like other teams, but I know there's it, it just I but like the Premier League right now, I mean it, it's I feel like it's just kind of it's boring all like all the time. Like last year Liverpool had it in like like almost before quarantine. And like now they're Man City almost definitely has it. But I mean, like with the bonus league, we've seen like Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht Frankfurt is now on a um, is now in a like Champions League spot, and Union Berlin, who got promoted last year, is now in seven. And Leverkusen isn't even in the top six. Like that's a team that you would consider dominant. I just, I think, I think there's so many teams that we've seen be incredible one year and suck the other, and we haven't really seen as much of that in the Prem. Yeah, th does the does the Premier League eventually lose their crown? I think we can all agree that the Premier League at this point is probably the best league in Europe, or it has been for the past few years, just given the concentration of teams that they have. Are, are they in, in risk of losing their crown as maybe the most entertaining league to watch, just given that it, it's, you know, at least for the past four or five years, it's been a complete blowout as far as who wins the title. I mean, Liverpool ran away with it last year. Uh, City ran, with, ran away with it a few years ago. They're about to do the same thing again. Like, it, 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 there's so many more other interesting leagues to watch. Are, are they losing their crown as the most interesting league? Yeah, I, I think so. And it's, it's a shame to see because of the talent that the Premier League not only has, 
you know, within it, but the talent that it produces. I, I think it's a really, it's a tough thing to see, but I think it is. And, you know, you, you have teams like United, like Chelsea, like, like even like Arsenal, who should be, who should be challenging for a top two or even a first place spot every year. And they aren't, they just aren't performing. Um, obviously Man City, you know, who are now the, I guess the, the champions elect, uh, I think I heard someone uh, refer to them as, you know, they're, they're now 10 points clear at the top of the table, 12 points clear at the top of the table. And they had a rough start to the season, but what did they do? Pep Guardiola figured out the problems and he fixed them. The other clubs in the Premier League aren't doing that, but in the Bundesliga, like the Thad brought up, managers find problems, right? And they, they identify them and they fix them and you create better football. You create better teams when you do that. And the, the Premier League just doesn't, doesn't have it and isn't, isn't doing it the right way. I think, and that, that's how you get these, you know, 10, 15, 20 point gaps that you're right. They, they are no longer interesting to watch. What's, what is the most interesting title race going down the stretch that you guys are, are most looking forward to watching? La Liga for sure. Cause I mean, like right now, I think all three teams have a lot on the line. Like I could see Zidane getting fired if Real Madrid don't win. Um, Atletico is looking at like a, I mean, almost just like just choking it. They were so far ahead, and um, and I mean Barca, like they have the chance of keeping Messi and just they'll make a lot of money winning La Liga, and we already know how much debt they're in, so that'll help a lot. Uh, I think I think as far as mine goes, I think um, as much as I crapped on them recently, Liga is going to be the most interesting. I think it's I think it's a six point difference between first and sixth where we just don't see that in the other leagues. I think it's like a, it's like a nine point difference between first and third in, in La Liga. So here's um, as, as far as first, first through third goes, um, Lille sit at 59. Uh, Lyon is at 56. So that's a three point difference in Bundesliga. It's seven in Syria. It's 10 in La Liga. It's six. And in the premier league, it's 13. So, Liga, as far as teams at the top go, is definitely the most tight knit. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That's you know, as, again, as, as much as I have, as much as I've kind of smeared it for being a farmers league, especially on this podcast, I think it it will be the most interesting league to watch this season. Um, you know, just because of that tightness, because of because of how close it really is. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm really looking forward to it. I think PSG have struggled this year a lot. I think they, I mean, as far as teams towards the top of the table goes, they, they have, I think, the most losses out of anyone. They're sitting at like six or seven losses this season. Uh, and, and that, quite frankly, I don't know how that happens, um, just given the league they're, that they're, the, the, you know, the league that they're in and the competition that they're playing. But uh, that's really made it a competition. I mean, Lyon have a chance to win it. Lille sit in first place right now. PSG two points back. Monaco could make a push for, for the top three, top two. Um, they've been really good this year. All right, really interesting to see how that one shakes out. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if PSG didn't finish in first place, but they definitely got a Champions League spot locked up, in my opinion. Uh, real quick before we go, I saw this quote from Antonio Cassano, and he said, quote, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's always been a bit selfish. He doesn't give a damn about others scoring goals. I had a big problem with this when I saw it because that's just completely false. Like Cristiano Ronaldo is a straight up winner. I mean, football is a team sport and his teams are consistently, at least when he was at Real Madrid, Real Madrid his, his teams are consistently towards the top of the table. And like, he's 
consistently winning. Like he's a, he's a straight up winner. Uh, and I, so I don't know how you can say he's selfish uh, in that sense. I mean, he's a goal scoring machine. Like what did, what did you guys think about that? I, I, I think, think more I recently mean, oh, you can go ahead. Okay. Um, I think honestly, it, there's a lot to be said about that. We've had way, we've had like a ton of experiences where people have complained about Ronaldo not passing the ball. Like Chicharito and Hamas Rodriguez have both spoken out about it in press conferences about how like Ronaldo has had many opportunities just to lay the ball off to let someone else score, even if even if they have like a better angle and Ronaldo doesn't do it. He's just, I mean, I think the difference between him and Messi is Messi, like Messi cares a little bit more about winning. Ronaldo cares uh, winning for the team, and Ronaldo cares a little bit more about himself, like about him winning. And I mean, there's. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's an aspect that, I mean, Ronaldo has clearly won a lot for his team, but, he, like, he doesn't he doesn't give, like, we haven't seen him have, like, that same connection with players that Messi has had. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I, I think that mo- more recently he has become a more selfish player as he's moved centrally um, on the field. He scores more goals and he doesn't, yeah, I mean, he doesn't make those passes that he needs to, but I think throughout his career, I mean, we've seen him, you know, set up goals, countless goals, you know, for teammates. Um, him and Wayne Rooney uh, at United in 08, 09, and, and 07, 08 were a deadly partnership up front. Them, them two and Carlos Tevez for the front three were ridiculous. And I mean, Ronaldo was, was getting, you know, multiple assists per game because he was being unselfish, because he was playing for the team, not himself. So I think there is, as that, so there's something to be said about that quote. And I think recently it's more true, but you can't overgeneralize his entire career, you know, with just saying basically that he's a selfish ball hog. I don't think that's fair to him. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see how Juventus play out. Uh, they're behind with Porto right now. It'll be interesting to see how that one uh, shakes out. Uh, but that'll be enough for our soccer segment, the Yosemite Sports Talk Podcast. Thank you guys for joining us uh, for this segment. And uh, we'll have some Champions League. I believe we'll have some Champions League feedback coming up soon in the next few weeks as uh, the second leg starts to resume. This podcast was modified and produced by the prestigious editor, Gabriel Aguero. See you next week.